You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I don't like to get involved with a plumbing project. I'm just afraid of having water squirting all over the place. TV's original handyman, Bob Vila. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, you know, maybe no one, besides perhaps Martha Stewart, has had as much influence as Bob Vila has had in teaching us how to do things around the house for ourselves. His PBS show, This Old House, premiered in 1979. And for years after, Bob Vila taught us all how to do things around the house for ourselves, woodworking and plumbing and wiring and so forth. The simple projects, and sometimes the not-so-simple projects. I met him in 1986, when he had just published a reference book for us do-it-yourselfers, a reference book on tools and building materials and the kinds of supplies you need to do things around the house for yourself, and we talked about hammers and screwdrivers and drills and plywood and flooring and whatnot. So here now, from 1986, Bob Vila. Do you find that a lot of people avoid doing things themselves for fear that they're going to screw it up? No. I think that... Uh... The majority of people who become one of the legion of uh, do-it-yourselfers are people who will jump right into a project and try it out and very often screw it up anyway, but then persevere and and, uh, and eventually get it right. Uh, you know, I think Americans are different from a lot of other people around the world. We, we've kind of, uh, ever since we came over here five million years ago, whenever it was, uh, it, we've kind of felt like we were on our own here and we had to build our own fires and uh, make our own tents and make our own shelter and our own forts and our own system of government and fix our own things. So many of us, though, are so pampered anymore, we just go to the store and we buy something new if the old one breaks. That is part of uh, also what could almost be called a national malaise that, that uh, you know, we kind of got nicknamed the throwaway society 10 or 15 years ago. I see that as changing. I, I, I think that ha after the economic uh, problems that we saw in the late 70s and early 80s and the recovery that we've made, I think people have uh, improved the attitude towards uh, towards things physical and towards building and, uh, especially. And the attitude is, is, is ever a stronger one of preser preservation. Tell me if you would agree with me if I say that the the biggest thing that goes wrong with most do-it-yourselfers is failure to follow directions properly? Oh, I'm not sure I would agree that that is the biggest problem, but it's certainly a, a problem, and it's something that is one of the reasons that we got involved in putting together a guide to materials and tools, in that when we do this old house, when we spend a half an hour going through projects, we very often don't have the ability to get into them in depth. And two years ago, when we first came up the, uh, with the idea for this guide, we thought, it would be a perfect vehicle for examining the the different uh, materials, the different projects, the different tools, the different way of putting them all together and arming people with a lot of basic knowledge that would help them get through these projects rather than give up in exasperation. I can imagine the enthusiastic beginning do-it-yourselfer who is shocked to find out that a hammer is more than just a hammer, that you don't just go to the store and buy a sheet of plywood, that there are several different kinds of hammers and several different grades of plywood. Yeah, we talk about 17 different types of hammer in the book, and I don't know how many types of plywood, but the fact of the matter is that it's not just the, uh, the, the vast array of different materials that have been developed 
for home building and renovation in the last 10 or 15 years, but it's also the way of marketing them, how it has changed. And when I was uh, 15 or 20, you went to the lumberyard, and now there are fewer and fewer lumberyards per se. There are home improvement centers, which are relatively similar to going to the supermarket, except that it's bigger and the things you're buying might be bulkier. But you still have aisles and you have sections and you have shopping carts or dollies or push carts of one sort or another. And uh, you have fewer individuals, live, warm human beings in these home centers who can tell you, well, this is what you need and this is how you put it together. Well, it strikes me then that the, the do-it-yourselfer who is just now beginning as a do-it-yourselfer has a more difficult task facing him than the, when, in the days of when there were lumberyards and he could go in and get some expert help. Yes and no. There's more interest in the field now. That's why there are books being published and sold, and that's why there are TV shows about the field that, uh, you know, stay on the air for eight years. The, uh, the fact is that there's much more interest, and therefore there's going to be much more dissemination of information about the subject. And, in fact, it's, it's uh, one of the things that makes it possible for us to spend a couple of years putting together a book like this and for us to put out 26 half hours of TV every year, the fact that there are more and more people interested in not only repairing their dwellings, but also improving them, enlarging them, building new ones, and doing it on their own and being heavily involved in the, in the process. Everyone has limits, though. And few of us are able to readily assess our limits. I, I, in my own case, for example, I could probably install a new light fixture in my kitchen, but I'm not sure I'm up to rewiring my house. At what point do you have to say to yourself, I just can't do this, I can't handle this, I'm going to have to have somebody professional come in and do this for me? It's a gut feel that you're going to have. I mean, you just said it. You think you can get up on a ladder and change a light fixture, but you sure wouldn't want to have to snake around new wires and change things around. The same goes for a plumbing project. I don't like to get involved with a plumbing project. I'm just afraid of having water squirting all over the place and and, uh, and sometimes not being able to repair it. Because sometimes with very old pipes, you just might get yourself in over your head. Uh, there are lots of areas where you just don't feel like you're ever going to have the confidence, and I think that's closely linked to just not having the interest some people are only interested in woodworking projects. I can vouch for that. I, you know, my favorite kind of thing involves hammers and nails and wood. But if you have to get, put a wrench in my hand or if you ask me to start plastering and, and doing things like that, I'll try, but I know that in my heart of hearts I'd rather not. And that's where you have to kind of draw the line where you have to say, better off calling XYZ plastering outfit to come and do this for me. Is it a good idea to get into do-it-yourselfing if the only reason you're doing it is to save money, to avoid paying an electrician, to avoid paying a plumber? Well, that's an interesting question. Is I think it's always a good idea to try your hand at it because there's no doubt that you're going to save 20, 30, 40 percent in some cases on the cost of a particular home improvement project. And if you haven't tried it, you don't know whether you're going to like it or whether you're going to be good at it. Are there a couple of projects that almost anybody could do? Even somebody who's listening right now and they're saying, I've never done, I've never even picked up a hammer. What could I possibly do around the house? There are always a variety of things that, that, uh, will fit a particular personality. And with some people it might be ha hanging wallpaper or repainting. With other people it might be, uh, redesigning the interior of a closet and buying some pine boards and making some new shelves and putting some new rods and kind of doing a, a, an upscale closet. It's, it's, uh, it all depends really on the individual and on the set of circumstances and the kind of dwelling that they're stuck in. You must meet a lot of people who are surprised, maybe even shocked at how well they can do something after they've tried it. Sure. I know a fellow who's a, a, 
public relations vice president in, in New York City, and he lives in New Jersey, and I, he's an example that, that I often use because I remember the first time he tried something like I just was describing, redoing an interior of a closet in his little 10-year-old house in New Jersey. The next time I saw him, he was just on cloud nine, grinning from ear to ear about the, the satisfaction that he had uh, gotten from doing that himself and not having to wait around for a month to get somebody to come over to do it for him. After this short break, Bob Vila's checklist for what belongs in your toolbox. Now back to my 1986 interview with Bob Vila. Whose advice should you seek when you're doing, if you're doing something perhaps a little bit more sophisticated than doing the inside of a closet? Let's say you want to repaper a room and you need some wallpaper. You, can, you, can you get by with just reading your book? or reading someone else's book and going to the store, picking out some rolls and taking them home and trying it? Or should you have somebody who's done it before come over and watch you or help you? Or well, I recommend you watch my TV show and read my book. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you know, there, there are many, many books out there. There are many, many uh, videos and so forth. And I clearly have had a, an opportunity to, to be involved in producing many of these things. And the guide to building and remodeling materials is unique in that it's not a project-oriented book that tells you now we will show you how to build a shelf or a deck on your backyard. It simply is a compendium, a reference book, that will allow you to dig up the information. It's almost like a small encyclopedia so that if you are planning on buying a flocked wallpaper from a catalog and you get it in the mail and you don't know what kind of uh, adhesive you're supposed to use to put it on the wall, chances are you're going to find out in that book. What are some of the basic tools and implements that a do-it-yourselfer should have? Oh, with a 16-ounce claw hammer, with uh, a set of screwdrivers, with a pliers, a wrench, a small level, a uh, square is nice, a tape measure, a utility knife, uh, a hacksaw, a rough cutting saw. Um, sometimes it's nice to have a few chisels in there. Basic hand tools that you can almost find in one aisle or on one display wall in a home improvement center and that you can assemble for $100 or thereabouts. Stay away from the esoteric tools and things that you're never going to use more than once or twice. Wait until you kind of get really turned on to the whole concept of repairing things or fixing your own things or building your own things before you go out and invest in the more unusual tools. Shy away from the back of the magazine ads that uh, with the screwdriver with 16 different heads that's also a hammer and pliers. Absolutely. Go for simplicity. And we should also go for quality. Now, you don't want to necessarily choose the cheapest hammer, the cheapest screwdriver. Thanks. That's a real important important point because very often you'll, you'll find uh, you know, a barrel full of screwdrivers. And uh, I stay away from those. I'd much rather buy a good set of U.S.-made uh, tools, drop forge or whatever, that I know are going to be around for a long time. Let me ask you something else, too. A lot of do-it-yourselfers will say, gosh, you know, I'm this winter, I'm going to spend the whole winter, I'm going to finish my basement. I'm going to do the wiring myself. I'm going to do the plumbing myself. It's going to be great. Next summer, I'm going to have a great rec room. They don't stop to think about building codes and insurance and things that go beyond just the, the mechanics of actually doing it yourself. Those are very important things to consider, aren't they? Yeah, if you're doing a major undertaking. But another thing to remember is that sometimes the bureaucracies in different towns and cities uh, only start to apply at a certain level. 
when you're actually expanding the footprint of the house or when you're doing a structural change. But they don't apply at all when you're simply redecorating or putting in a dropped acoustical or fiberglass ceiling or when you're just putting up, uh, you know, some paint and paper in a basement area. And you can overcomplicate your life, as some friends and neighbors of mine recently did, by uh, by applying for a permit that you don't need. So you really know, need to know where the difference lies. Just a quick phone call would do it, I would think. Sure. And you don't even have to say who this is. <laughs> <laughs> you, said, you said a moment ago, uh, two years to put this together? Yeah. The, the, uh, the Guide to Building and Remodeling Materials was really uh, a group effort. Uh, and, and there's a man by the name of Stuart Byrne, who's an inventor, who's with Owens Corning Fiberglass, who's largely responsible for the whole concept of the super-insulated house. Mm. And he is one of the, the prime movers behind uh, putting the guide together. Norm and I, of course, are very, were very actively involved over the course of the last two years in, in, uh, in getting the chapters all set and, and uh, getting a lot of the hands-on information that has to do with tools and other materials. But he was our uh, kind of guru in terms of the very sophisticated stuff that, that has to do with... Uh, there's so many chemicals involved in, in, uh, in building products today and so many different types of insulations and so many different types of adhesives and so many different types of wall coverings and other products that uh, we, you needed a scientist along with you in order to put this book together and do it right. But at the same time, that, it's all that kind of stuff that probably makes it so easy for us mm -hmm. to do the kinds of things that we want to do, to do the things that we thought only a professional could handle, that we've discovered that now we can do because of all these things. Yeah, it's just amazing. You must get asked a lot of questions by a lot of people. What are some of the most common questions people ask? How'd you ever get started in this thing, Bob? How much did that cost, Bob? Now, tell the truth. Now, how do you choose the people that get on the show, Bob? Those are kind of the basic questions. And uh, it's hard to answer those quickly, but I, uh, I got started because a house that I had renovated got into a magazine and a TV producer saw it, and he asked me to help him out with a show, in a nutshell. We pick our houses. First, we pick the idea, and... Then we put an ad in the classifieds and get a couple of hundred responses. Most people that read the ad, although we don't say it's for this old house, get an inkling of what it's for, and we choose. And in terms of how much did that cost, well, it usually costs an arm and a leg, and we try to you know, keep the, the, the cost down. But because it's a TV project as well as a remodeling project, it's not like being in the real world. The cost of what we do is always affected by the TV production. And it's always offset by the fact that we get many, many donations from many corporations and manufacturers around the country. You must see a lot of books that are on the market. Yours, of course, is a very good book, a very excellent book. Thank you. But you also, I'm sure, see a lot of schlock. How does the, uh, <laughs> how does the home, the home do-it-yourselfer, when he goes to the bookstore, the Home Improvement Center, and is faced with these, this giant rack of books, how does he make an intelligent choice as to which book is going to help him? Look at the table of contents. Just look down the table of contents and see, you know, see what they're putting forth in that book, and then pick one subject, one chapter, whatever, and go to it, and do a quick read, standing there in front of the book rack. You know, spend ten minutes and read a chapter, and find out whether, you, whether, because so much of it has to do with the writing style, and with the the editing of the information, and whether it's clear and concise or whether it rambles on, and you can get an idea just by reading a sample chapter of whether you think this is exciting. Another thing to look for, of course, is the quality of the, of the, uh, the book itself in terms of illustrations, tables, charts, uh, photographs, all of that. There's nothing like a photograph. There's nothing like a moving photograph. You know, we've also just brought out a videotape uh, 
that uh, my producer at PBS has put together with Norm Abram, our master carpenter, and myself, uh, which concentrates on 12 typical home improvement projects around the house, from hanging a new gutter up to putting down a brick path or changing a passage set on a door. Little things that don't take more than five minutes to do. And uh, we're hoping that'll be a successful endeavor. Bob Vila is 75 now, and we're not sure, but... We suspect he probably still doesn't care much for plumbing projects because water will squirt out and that kind of thing. Did you know that you can find all the back episodes of Now I've Heard Everything on our website, heardeverything.com? We're into season three now. We're almost going to be in season four in a couple of months. And you can find all of our back episodes, all of our interviews at heardeverything.com. While you're there, be sure and check out my interview with the other do-it-yourself master, Martha Stewart. It's like cooking was 20 years ago when we all had to have our cuisine art. We had to have our KitchenAids. We had to have all the fancy whisks and copper bowls. That's what gardening is becoming now. It's becoming kind of an art form. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time, on the eve of Thanksgiving, we'll be talking with a famous cookbook author who was also a famous actress before she became a famous cookbook author, my 1987 interview with Jill St. John. A lot of people don't have lunch the day of Thanksgiving dinner because they know what's ahead. And, you know, after all, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, and enjoy it. I mean, I don't think we should punish ourselves on holidays. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.